Welcome to the Connected Communication Podcast, the show which explores how much of communication is nature and how much is nurture, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine Milani. Every face tells a story. If you know how to read it. That's a tagline that I saw on, I think, an email that I got from my guest today, Joseph McGuire. Thank you. Welcome to the show. What does that mean? Well, thank you, Christine. Delighted to be here. I'm always, it, it is always a genuine privilege to be invited and especially, especially to be able to have a real conversation where everything is just open. Um, I have been reading people since I was a small child, but I was specifically introduced to the ancient Chinese tradition of Mian Shung, and I'm probably pronouncing it really badly, as my Chinese partner will tell me. Um, it's, I was introduced that it's a 3,000-year-old tradition used in Chinese medicine, Chinese business, and Chinese politics. I was introduced to that back in 1981 when I lived in London, and I trained in a branch of Oriental medicine. And it was it, initially I was introduced to it as a diagnostic tool. But the understanding was always that the mind and the body are inseparably connected and that our static facial features reveal so much about our, our physical, mental and emotional health, as well as parental and ancestral influences genetically and otherwise. So, for example, the, the right side of the individual face reveals the public persona but it also reveals the influences of the relationship with the mother and the genetic influences from the mother's side. The left side is the private persona, and then it reveals the relation, the impact of the relationship with the father and the genetic side of the father's makeup. So there's so much revealed in our static facial features before we move a muscle, say a single word. And so that's where the tagline comes from. Wow. Wow, that's really interesting. Fascinating is the word I'm going to use. Uh, what comes to me first is, do you think or is there a reason why it's public for the mother and private for the father? I have absolutely no idea, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, the Chinese approach, the traditional Chinese approach, as I have understood it, is about the what rather than the why. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've got a lot of different treatments. I, I go to acupuncture first before anything else. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, I get all right that I don't get a lot of the whys or a lot mm -hmm. of the th the reasons, but it yeah. gets healed. This is a sneaky question. I don't know if you learned in your training, but did you learn to read the tongue as well? I didn't. It was, I was introduced to it briefly. I was introduced to it briefly, and I know it's a cornerstone of the sort of the diagnostic process in particularly acupuncture, but I wasn't, it was only a brief part of what I was taught, and I didn't pay great attention to it, to be honest. Right. I'm only asking from pure interest for myself, because they always check your tongue first, yeah. and I never know what they're seeing. Yeah. <laughs> it's fascinating. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they used, like, they've traditionally used the senses. So, for example, there's the obviously there's the visuals, then there's the there's the touch where they'll use the the pulses on the wrist. Again, I was I was given a very superficial introduction to that. It's when you get somebody who really knows what they're doing, it's quite profound. But then there's also diagnosis by sound, where the the 
the, the tone of the voice, the rhythm of the voice is very revealing in terms of where the voice is resonating from. Um, there's a diagnosis by smell and different, different illnesses can give off various subtle odors. So they're combining all the senses when they're making a diagnosis. So what drew you then to the face, the visual sense? From early childhood, I, I was reading people. I just intuitively knew stuff about people. And not, not as in their deepest, in, most intimate secrets, um, but there was so much so clearly apparent to me from just being with people and from, from observing them. This was probably before I could even speak. And then my father used to bring me to football matches as a small child, like soccer matches. And I can remember him bringing me to Daly Mount Park in Dublin. And I was, I was still, a, I don't know, I was probably six or seven at the time. And I'm carrying a wooden crate on his shoulder for me to stand on so I could see the game. And I just intuitively knew a lot about what was going on. I could see patterns of play before they developed. I could see which players were committed, which guys were holding back whose heads dropped when something went wrong, who got complacent when things went right. I, and it was just obvious to me. Wow. And, and then when I'd been meeting people, um, like there'd be a lot of gatherings in my, my, my house or family gatherings, uh, like my father's work colleagues or whatever. And I just intuitively knew a lot about people's character, knew who was being really honest, who, who was holding back, um, and who who was confident and who was putting on a mask? I just just intuitively knew that stuff, and I and I just thought it was obvious to everybody mm. because it was so obvious to me. But then it was when when I moved to London, I I left Ireland, moved to Israel, moved then moved from Israel to London, and when I moved to London and the the I was introduced to facial diagnosis, it was just like now this makes sense. Now I'm home. Now I can use this to explain what I'm doing naturally anyway. Wow. Okay. So it was like you were given the link to yeah. to something that was inside you, yeah. maybe from birth. Yeah. Or or so do you think it was a gift from birth or something that you learned as a young child? No, I'd say it was a gift, but it hasn't always been a gift oh. because sometimes I see things I'd prefer not to see. Okay. I I think I, I heard you talk about something that you did see in your family that yeah, my Maybe. the first the first person on whom I saw a serious illness was my father. Mm. I saw a heart condition before it was diagnosed, and I was young and naive, and of course full of myself. And I blurted it out, and he then later was diagnosed, and a few years later died of heart failure after a triple bypass. But it caused ripples in the family in the sense that. For quite a time afterwards, when I'd be visiting my parents, my mother would ask, okay, what do you see in my face that's wrong with me? Yeah. And it's not a place you want to be. Yeah. So kind of created a bit of a fear for her that she needed you to diagnose all the time to make sure she was going to be okay. That's a lot yeah. of responsibility. Yeah, it is. It is. And to, and it's, it's like in, in all honesty, it took me, it, it took me, it probably still is taking me, as some would say, um, time to develop the, the maturity and the understanding of the responsibility mm. because there is a tendency to speak and to say what one sees when it's not necessarily appropriate. And increasingly, I'm guided by, is it helpful? Is it kind? 
one of my favorite lines. Is it useful? Is it necessary? Is it helpful? Is it kind? Yeah, Yeah. I use that a lot. There was something you said that I heard in an interview, which I resonated with, and you alluded to a couple of minutes ago, that you didn't realize that everybody had this or didn't have this ability, that it was something in you. And I would say the same for me. I can feel from people when nerves hit, when when fear hits, when different emotions hit, as opposed to necessarily seeing them. And I thought everybody could do this. Everybody understood each other in the same way as I understood others. As I got older and I started realizing it wasn't true, it it hurt a little bit because I didn't understand why other people treated me in ways that they did. And I think I sort of took on this, why don't they understand how I'm feeling, even if I didn't tell them how I was feeling? Um, So I didn't really have a question there. That was more a comment, but maybe I can give that to you. What would you say about that? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I I can certainly identify with that because it took me a long time to learn to speak in terms of what I was feeling. Um, That's probably a very Irish thing in many ways in holding holding back and assuming people will understand, mm. even though we haven't said anything, certainly not anything with any great clarity. But the deeper the deeper bit for me is the fact that we actually can all do all of that, but we've forgotten it. That's the thing. Our, we're guided by, you know, the top two inches, mm. what's going on there. And we've learned not to trust our instincts, not to trust the fact that like the reality is our whole body, our whole being is a is an antenna, which is continually transmitting and receiving. And we intuitively do pick up, our bodies pick up on this stuff, how somebody is, how they're or how they're not. Uh, whether whether people are being open, whether people are being closed, whether people are being honest, dishonest, all of that, whether people are being friendly or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um and our, our whole being picks up on it, but we're so caught up in what's going on up here. It's almost like we've been taken on, we've been taken over by the whole Cartesian thing. I think, therefore I am. Mm. And the thinking rules rather than feeling. But if you look at, um, like if you look at the work of Daniel Kahneman, Amos Tversky, then you're getting into the fact that, and are getting into behavioral economics. You're looking at the fact that we're, we're not logical, linear thinking beings. We're guided so much by our emotions and how we feel about situations. Yeah. Um, and we forget that. And that they're like, our body is a whole, our whole body is a sensory organism. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you completely on that. That systems thinking coming from Kahneman and the the, the $100, uh, the feeling worse about losing $100 than gaining 100 isn't it? Yeah, I read a post not too long ago. I think it was Damasio is now being credited with talking about finding that consciousness comes from feeling. But on the same day, interestingly enough, I have a calendar and on the calendar there's the day and a quote. Some of it is from Taoism, some of it is from the the Stoics, some poets, different people. And on that day that I, I read the article, the quote was from a female poet whose name I unfortunately can't remember, and I should, Edna something, I think. But it, in it, it was a part of one of her poems, and she said exactly that, that we think, that we feel before we think. So you say we've forgotten it. Would you, would you agree that 
not only have we forgotten it, but also that because of the way the world has changed, it's got so much busier, faster. There are different threats, different traumas that people have experienced. We've learned to trust and fear differently. What would you say to that? Very definitely. And you can see the stress levels arising in people's lives. And especially, especially over the last few years, because the, the people have been so disoriented over the last few years. And mm. like the, if you like the enforced separation that has caused so much deep internal distress in people. It has caused so much disconnection within relationships. Um, and so many people are still adjusting to it. Like um, I know from talking with people who work on helplines, the calls they're getting, the volume of calls has just gone through the roof. And in some cases, much younger people, like mm. um, so there's a cousin of mine who works on a suicide helpline. And like he was telling me, he'd be getting calls from eight and nine-year-olds. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then you look at, like, I remember going back to early, I think it was, it might have been in March or April 2020, a, a statistic came out from Great Ormond Street Hospital in London, Children's Hospital. And the number of children being admitted with head injuries from domestic-related incidents was up something like 3,000%. So, yeah, that is like that the level of stress and disconnect and inability to understand how to connect, understand who we actually are as individuals, never mind how to relate. Uh, I think that has diminished immeasurably. Mm -hmm. And that's that's like that's a that's a, a massive, massive crisis for for our societies. And I'm like I'm looking at like I mentioned, my partner's Chinese. I'm looking at some of the stats coming out out of China. And there's like there's a lot of uh, a lot of undercurrents there in terms of how people are actually feeling okay. and the the stress levels in people's life. And we're seeing it in like we're seeing it in public protests in yeah. Holland, France, Italy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's clearly something something either bubbling under or boiling over. Yeah, and it's not isolated. It's it's global. And what has been created by not only the last few years, but what was coming before it and that, yeah, that big shift. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know you work in, in uh, well, let, let me get the name right. Hmm. Ah, I, I was telling my sister earlier on and now it won't stay with me because it's negotiation, behavioral. Behavioral negotiation. Negotiation. Yeah. That's it. Yes, yeah. yes, that's right. And this is part of why I was so excited to talk to you. One of my first dream jobs was to be a criminal profiler. And you, I believe, have done a lot of training with former FBI agents. So did you do that because you recognized that the skills and techniques you'd learned in uh, Min Chang, if, I, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, <laughs> were to based on the therapy that you did and and the the training for health and and diet and fitness and you wanted to expand it into behavioral understanding is that right partly um i was going i had been going that direction anyway but i realized that like i'm i'm I, obviously i am irish and i'm based in ireland and i realized that like you'll know yourself irish people can be very conservative in in thinking and behavior. And I realized that I painted myself into a corner talking about reading faces. So right. I realized I needed to communicate what I did 
in a completely different way. I needed to put it in a much different context to get people to not just take it seriously, but to take it seriously and to recognize the value of it in business for communication, negotiation, et cetera. So one of the reasons I did that, did a lot of study online, particularly with in, in, that, in the fields of like interrogation, negotiation, elicitation, body language, was to give me a much broader realm of language as much as anything. But also I, I was very particular about the people I chose to study with, people who had really taken their stuff to a whole different level where it was really going to challenge me. Okay. And then it helped me to expand the language I was using and the way I was using language to communicate because obviously a lot of what I do is about the nonverbal stuff, but we have to communicate verbally. And it's to you to learn to use language much more effectively, but language with presence, not just words. And that's one of the other areas that we get caught up in that we assume so frequently that because we've spoken, we have communicated, mm -hmm. where quite often it's just white noise. Mm. Nicely put. <laughs> A line I use is that language proficiency, it does not indicate communication competency. Yeah. And particularly I use it because I work with bilingual professionals and often we have this bias, which we might talk a little bit about it in a couple of minutes yeah. um, against this so-called non-native speaker. And I say so-called because I really don't like that term yeah. uh, that when we recognize the words that come out of your mouth might be grammatically or linguistically correct, but it doesn't mean that they've been communicated in a way a person can hear. And then we start to break down some of these biases and understand each other more clearly. So you said you wanted to challenge yourself and be challenged by people who'd risen to higher stakes in their games. So what kind of things did you look for that would challenge you? I looked for people who had, who had um, some, several of them had worked um, for U.S. Army, U.S. Navy, and they'd, like, they'd, they're, they're open about the fact that they'd worked in some, shall we say, murky areas. Um, and they, they've really gone into very, very precise depth about reading people. And they'd combined, like, I was, I, be, I needed to become much more conscious of the link between the visuals, the sensing, the hearing, the speaking. I needed to be much more conscious of the, how it all fits together mm -hmm. because I'd focused too much on the, the observational bit and the feeling bit. And I wasn't paying enough attention to the listening. And I needed to, I needed to, I needed to blend them and bind them together much, much more effectively, as well as then using language much more effectively myself. Mm -hmm. So I needed to um I needed to identify how these people were using their skills, how they had developed them, where they were potentially taking them. And could I could I go there? Would I be interested in going there? Mm. How could I go there if I if I wanted to? So it, it stimulated me in so many different ways and challenged me because it's easy for any of us, particularly if we are at least reasonably competent at what we do, to get stuck in a rut. And I knew that there was a rut there that I needed to demolish, quite frankly. Oh, oh, a lot of self-awareness there and, and courage 
to step out of a place that you could have maybe got quite comfortable in? Um, no, I've never been comfortable in a, in a rut, and I, I'm conscious. I'm conscious of that. There's always that. I'd be reasonably in tune with my body. So when when my body starts to feel a little bit sluggish, but I'll just use the word sluggish. I know my mind is is in that rut again. And so it's it's time to okay. How do I change that? What do I need to change, and do something different? Lovely. How did you learn to recognize that? Probably through some serious life struggles where I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Um, a co- and a couple of couple of situations where long term relationships broke down. One 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 in particular was my choice. The the other one wasn't, and um, the second one hit me hard because I didn't see it coming. And yet, in retrospect, I had to realize that the relationship could have actually ended a lot earlier because I had lost myself. What What does that mean, if you don't mind me asking that, to say yeah. you've lost yourself? Yeah, I, 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 I lost my sense of who I was or what sense. I, I, I lost any sense of real purpose. I, I was working as a therapist for like 30 years. And it reached a point, like when, aside from the observation of it, I was, uh, two of the modalities I was trained in were hands-on. So when I would touch somebody, I would know what was really going on for them. Like they may have made an appointment for a back problem, a migraine or whatever it was, but I would put my hand on them and their body would tell me what was really going on. Like in some cases, it was, their their marriage was in, in, in disarray. In some cases, it was like their body was screaming at me, telling me they had been badly abused. And I was obviously absorbing stuff into my body from that, plus the stuff I hadn't dealt with. And there were, like there were, there were various things in my own background that I thought I dealt with but hadn't. And I reached a point where my body just started to break down, not in the sense of anything life-threatening, but structural issues and viruses. And I just, I just reached a point where my body said, can't do this anymore. And for me, when that happened, I'd lost my identity. You know, I'm I'm a huge jazz fan, uh, or some some jazz, and I'm a Miles Davis fan. And one of the things Miles said was, "I do what I am," and for me, I did what I was, mm-hmm. and I lost that, and I I just lost my identity. I I just didn't know who I was or what I was what I was here for, and I had a sense that there was a purpose, but I like you could certainly clinically, you can probably say I I became quite depressed. So it took a lot of time and it took the breakdown of a relationship to begin to wake me up and bring me back to life again. Well, thank you for sharing that firstly. How did you find your way back? Um, help from great people. I had to reach out to people because um, I, was, I was feeling really lost. My, my, my life was literally turned upside down. I was financially in a deep hole. Um, I had... I, I had the choice between moving back into my mother's house, which neither she nor I wanted, mm. or or being homeless. I mean, it literally was that 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 stark. Um, and there were some some great people I was able to reach out to who just helped me bring myself together again. Yeah, and 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 see a future that was bright and that where yeah, where just life opened up again. And and I I felt oh yeah. The, the, you know, the fire is lit again. Oh, so again, courage to reach out, to share. I, I, I hear. Yeah. 
that's what I yeah. feel or pick up when you say this that it it's neither easy nor difficult to to just give in but sometimes it's it's what people do instead of saying I know there's something else how do I get out of this where do I go and to have that courage to find the heart courage means yeah. heart that's that's yeah, where yeah. absolutely cool. the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 well for me it was no for me it was more I don't it's not for me to say whether it was courage or wasn't courage, but for me, it was there was something inside me, and I would just call it life. Mm. And life, life demanded it. Life, like it was like it was like life. Um, like I know I, I've been hugely influenced over the last number of years by the work of Michael Singer, and Michael Singer will talk about you know consciousness within, etc., and and you beyond all the you know all the the covering and the fluff and the who you think you are and all that stuff, um, and. It was that something else within was saying, look, get it together. And I don't mean that in, a, in an aggressive sense, but mm. just saying, look, there's more to this than, than you're seeing. Mm. And it kept, it kept going. And it's like this little, many years ago, I was introduced to the work of Pema Chodron. And Pema Chodron is a, is a, she's an American lady, but she's a Tibetan nun. I think she's actually an abbess. Uh-huh. And she, and one of the, she, her work introduced me to something called Tonglen. And Tonglen is about heart meditation. It's about compassion meditation. And it's about not simply acknowledging one's own pain, but breathing in the pain of the world mm. and, and bringing it into one's heart and then breathing out compassion. And the more I did that, and I haven't always done it as much as I probably could, and I'll use the, the word should. I haven't always done it as much as I could or should have. But when I've done it, it's so freeing. And there's a transformation that happens in the during the process. Like one goes through a sense of overwhelm, and this is too much. I can't handle this to, wow, how amazing this is. Yeah, I have tears in my eyes now. I was in uh, an estate the other day, just two days ago, which was called Lochru View. And for anyone who's listening that's not from Ireland, Lochru is a very ancient site in Ireland, one of the, the oldest sites that we have, which houses a number of cairns up on the highest points. And you can see five counties from there. Very spiritual, very deep connection to that place. I'm originally from Mead, La Cruz and Cabin, which isn't too far away. And I got a tour of it from a friend of mine last year. But I was standing, waiting for the woman to come out. I was collecting something for my sister's baby. And I realised, oh, it's La Cruz view because there's a view of La Cruz. I hadn't connected the dots. So I left the car and walked over the grass to the fence. And as I hit the fence, I felt like the earth was crying and it hasn't happened to me before. So it's amazing that you you talk about this right now. And there's that resonance that I think we both know we had before we spoke. Yeah. And I breathed it in and I felt the pain of the earth and like the earth was crying and I breathed out my compassion, which is, wow, I have tears in my eyes right now as you yeah. just speak that. So thank you for sharing that and take her name down from me and I'm looking to that further. Yeah. Michael Singer is the untethered soul, untethered, untethered soul, soul, isn't that right? The, yeah, the surrender experiment. Yeah, mm. and there's another book since, but I haven't haven't read it yet. 
Right. I, th- I've, I started the Untethered Soul on audiobook. And then ah, that was when I left that relationship in Poland in the middle of that book. I haven't actually gone <laughs> back to it yet, but I'm reading something called Awareness from Anthony DeMello. Oh, which yeah. is another one if if you haven't read that one yeah. about waking up is, is superb. Let's go back to the face if we can mm-hmm. talk for another 10 or 15 minutes if that's all right with you. Okay, so how do I get as many answers as possible <laughs> to, for my my 40 years, no, 30 years of, of uh, interest in this? <laughs> right, we had the separation of the left and the right. I did look it up a little bit before we spoke. Mm-hmm. And I and I heard I listened to a couple of interviews with you. So I think I remember you saying there were over 160 different facial expressions or positions. Is that right? Yeah. For for a project I was involved in a a number of years ago, I could identify 168 different facial features. And then you start talking like variations that could be like, you know, 17, 20 different sort of eyebrow shapes and lengths and etc. Um, and then then you're talking about the combinations and what the combinations reveal, because you could talk about individual features, you know, you know, a, a short eyebrow, long eyebrow, and you can talk, you know, you can talk about it in isolation, but it's what it means in the context of the whole. So yeah, there's huge amount of information there. And I also then thought, because, you know, a lot of us women would get our eyebrows done. Mm-hmm. A lot of men these days get their eyebrows done, yeah. too. And one year I got mine done and she took them in a bit too far. I could do nothing about it. Yeah. But would that mean then that if you're reading my face and my eyebrows and you see that it's in it's way too far from the bridge of my nose where it should be in that mm-hmm. nice symmetrical line? Yeah. Does that affect how you'd read my face then? It can do, yeah. I mean, I won't just see it in the con, you know, in isolation. Mm-hmm. I will see it in the context. Like, for example, if your if your eyebrows were naturally quite far apart, it would, if you can use a generalization, it would indicate that you could be quite indecisive. Mm-hmm. But if the eyes are bright, it tells me that's less likely to be the case. And if your eyes are really focused, like some people, you know, when you look at, when you make eye contact with them, they're very present, very present. And then some people, you look at them and you think, I'm not sure if there's anybody home. Uh-huh. Yeah. That vacancy yeah. behind the eyes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, so, they're looking at yeah. me, but they're, they're, they yeah. might be looking through me. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Wow. So there are a number, a number of variations. And, and then the other one, um, like, you, you know, that the unibrow or the monobrow where the eyebrows grow together. That's anger apparently, isn't it? No. Oh, okay. Not I remember reading that years ago. Yeah, not necessarily. <laughs> and apparently, if you go to a barber in Japan, if you have that, they will automatically remove it, whether oh. you ask them to or not. But there's an old there's an old saying, certainly in in this country, that if you if you know when you meet somebody where the eyebrows meet, you um, you should never trust them. But that's actually inaccurate. Okay. The reality is they are they are less likely to trust you. They're not the most trusting of individuals. And they're very emotionally cautious, um, and they're and they're also they they also tend to have very active minds, and they're prone to insomnia. Wow how how do they how do they get this from the eye, the hair between yeah. your eyebrows? But, but where did it come from? Because I know it's like three thousand years old or more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it had to be repeated observation. Must be, yeah. Now the the science mind comes in 
and I, I, I'm very spiritual, so I fully believe exactly as you say in the, the whole lot working together. We understand now more so than ever that the heart sends more messages to the brain than the brain yeah. sends down. Yeah. And certainly what we put into the gut is what determines our emotions in a lot of cases. Yeah. Science. What does science say about this? And and if it's taken from observation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um there's a lot more science, certainly that I've come across. There's a lot more scientific research into, like, for example, the work of like Paul Ekman, the microexpressions. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of questions raised about that. Um, there is, I haven't come across a huge amount of what I would describe as valid science in terms of in terms of what I'm doing, in terms of the like Mian Shun, the 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 clean tradition, if I can put it that way. Um, so if, if I find it, I'm happy to use it and I'm happy to check what, what, what the research says, but I simply haven't come across a lot. Um, I know there's, there's a lot of research being done in the form, like, uh, organizations like the FBI in terms of facial expression more than facial structure. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of work in the, in the, the world of AI now being done. Yeah from from a security perspective particularly facial recognition and there there's a lot of there's a lot of profiling happening there um i know there's various uh, various israeli companies have been particularly active on that one but again it's very much security based and they're not releasing the research well, the change medicine yeah. uh, so i'm a firm believer in human observation and experiential evidence as being stronger and more believable than scientific evidence. I I always have been. It's great to have the science to back it up, yeah, because the world has been trained to believe it more than so-called anecdotal evidence. But I think those of us who've been to acupuncturists, as I believe you have been also, know (laughs) what what works fastest and, and deepest. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would say there is I when I was introduced to reading faces, etc., um, I was also introduced to the philosophy of non-credo. Non-credo is Latin for I do not believe. So I don't get caught up in belief. Mm. I'm not particularly interested in belief one way or another, whether people believe or don't believe. For me, it's about check it, trust your instincts and then check for the evidence. And does the evidence back it up in terms of like if you're reading somebody's face, does the evidence back it up, back up your observations in terms of their actual behavior? And I don't just mean one-off behavior, I'm talking about consistent behavior. Is is what there is what like you make an observation, but then when the person, when you're engaging with the person, how they speak, how they present their body language, their facial expressions, is it all congruent? Or is there some kind of disparity between what you're what you're hearing and what you're saying, what you're seeing? And what you're feeling about it. Yeah. Mm. So I looked up in a way there and I'm sure you know, well, I can't be sure, but I'm guessing, you know, when I look up like that, it's because I'm thinking I'm bringing my mental maps together. I'm a big one for belief, but for a reason, because so many people, particularly women, have been led to believe that they are not good enough, that they are not worthy, that they are not capable enough. So from that belief perspective, I 
I talk about it um, with the intention of supporting belief in the self, because if we don't believe in ourselves, we can't. Well, we tend not to be able to. I shouldn't say we can't. We tend not to be able to believe in others or step forwards. But do I understand correctly then that what you're saying in terms of belief is when you're observing people. So if you're in an interview, I know you, you part of your work is that you go into interviews with your clients and you may be present in the room or you may be present online, but you're observing the candidates. And rather than, I loved this when you said this, rather than look for the problems, you allow the communication to flow towards you completely openly. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that for, for listeners who maybe don't understand exactly what you might do? Yeah, and we might just go back to the topic of women in a, in a few minutes. Because sure, that's something yeah, that yeah. resonates very, very strongly with me. Yeah, we'll go uh, wherever yeah. you want to go first. I don't <laughs> mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, one of the one of the questions, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the first bit and then we we'll go back to the women bit if that's okay. No, um, absolutely. Um, one of the thing, one of the questions people most frequently ask me is, "How do I know if somebody is lying?" Mm. And I generally say, "I don't go there." Okay. And there's a reason for that. Um, number one, when somebody lies, there's typically there's a reason for it. It may be simply to deceive, or it may be because they're fearful of something. Like in 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 Oriental societies, they talk a lot about face saving face. Yeah, yeah. So when somebody when somebody lies, there tends to be an element of looking to save face for whatever reason. Mm. And it's not necessarily for me to attempt to understand the reason because it may never be apparent. It may never reveal itself. So if when somebody if if I have a if I have a very clear sense that somebody is lying, it depends on the context. If it's particularly significant, what I will typically do there is I will note it and then let the conversation pass on. I will note what they did, the facial expression, the shift in body language, the shift in tone, vocal tone, speech, rhythm of speech, etc. I'll let the conversation move on so that they're back in their normal state, as it were, their, their, their baseline state, as we say. Mm. And then I will revert back to it. I will touch on it. I won't. Uh, I won't say you were lying there. I'll say a few minutes ago we were discussing X. Can you tell me a little bit more? Mm. And I'll observe. Do they go back into that changed body language, vocal mm. tone, etc.? Right. And if they do, then I will throw in a few more questions. I'm not sure I understood that. Can you elaborate? And then think, paying attention to things like. Do they use exactly the same words? Because it's then like it's a prepared script. Right. Yeah. And if it's a prepared script, the likelihood is they are lying. And then, then we start looking at, okay, what's really going on here? Look, there's something missing here. Mm-hmm. And I will typically put it as, as like that. There's something missing here and shut up. Right and see what they're willing to reveal. Does that much. It does, in part. We can refer a little bit more into 
that you're in an interview there maybe mm-hmm. so you're you're supporting a, an organization yeah. i think maybe in a negotiation or a high level interview for directors or executives of a company yeah. you're yeah. trying to identify where the full truth is in in their presentation but what i hear or what i think i understand is that you do it from a non-judgmental perspective yeah. that it's very much this is what i'm perceiving this is what i can read from it this is the evidence as you said not about belief this is what i see this is the evidence to to back up what i'm seeing here you go you yeah. do with it what you will i'm not telling you what to do i'm not telling you say yes or no it's kind of up to you do i understand correctly yeah absolutely and i i make it very clear if i'm there to sit in on a like an interview situation i make it very clear i do not advise do or don't hire or promote the person yeah if you do it this is what you're likely to get in real terms this is how they communicate this is how they they need to be communicated with to get the best out of them this is how they're likely to respond under stress this is what's the sort of these are the sort of things that are likely to cause them stress this is how they're likely to interact with people um and then i will also in the in the written profile i will tend to highlight any obvious red flags or areas that yeah you really need to check in you know go in a lot more depth in this area mm. because there's there's some uncertainty here wow it's really like the work i do with my my clients i don't do it in the same way as well being in interviews and that kind of thing but communicating with the brain and mind the first your own where your triggers are coming from and your biases might be rising and then those of others and how to shape our behavior and our messages in a way that they can they can receive them bringing them towards reward away from threat yeah nice. absolutely yeah oh, beautiful wow so you said you would like to talk about women what is yeah. that you, you wanted to say yeah it's um absolutely well I'm the father of two daughters anyway that's mm-hmm. that, and so my daughters are precious to me uh, but I've more I've certainly got more female than male friends and so many of my female friends over the years have told me of negative experiences they've had with guys in some cases way beyond negative um and that's something I feel very very strongly about um so part of my part of what motivates me is to help women understand men because to me men are simple straightforward creatures i shouldn't be admitting that but that's, <laughs> that's the reality um men to me are by and large an easy read okay and yet so many women don't see that and don't don't see or don't that's not their experience and it could be you know it could be a multiple reasons from like a woman's background etc that it can cause that but uh it's so easy in particularly in a world where we're not paying attention and we're so caught up in these you know these funny little devices and mm. like what the um what um Shabri and Simons the guys behind the the individual or the, the invisible gorilla experiment they they use the term they coined the term um inattentional blindness but we we so often don't see what's literally in front of our in front of our eyes in front of our noses mm-hmm. so i'm i'm part of what i'm about is helping women recognize this guy's for real and this guy is better off avoided okay. and there are a lot of there are a lot of clues there and that that can apply in a professional situation as well as in a personal you know um and it's to help it's to help women just 
see the situation more clearly and value themselves. Because again, unfortunately, so many women haven't learned to really value themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I've had that experience. Uh, I I was groomed and groom, I know, can have a, a negative connotation to it. I, I, sometimes it can be positive. Someone wants you to work for them, but I had left a toxic work environment where I learned a lot. A lot of those lessons that you've just talked about, Mm -hmm. the key one was to value myself and recognize the behavior. And I had lovely meals. I was brought out for dinners and for lunches, given tours of the business, handed an open offer four days a week. You choose your salary. This is like a dream come true. And so many people would say, oh, I'm going to jump at that. And inside my body said, Mm -hmm. no, Christine, you're going to get back into exactly the same environment you thought you were leaving. Sometimes I think that's the universe testing us. Are you sure you really want to leave that and you're ready for the next stage? And I said, no, thank you very much. It was lovely to meet you. And as you say, then look for the the evidence. I received no return response. Evidence to me that I would, had made the right decision. Well, that's f- fantastic work that you do on behalf of maybe the women that are listening. If I can be so bold as to say, thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a great thing. Would there be a couple of particular mannerisms or behaviours that you could say women could look out for before we, we come to a close today? Or is it too many to to say, to generalise? Yeah, there's a few obvious things. Um, like one of the one of the one of the obvious things is if you're meeting a guy, we'll just say it's a, a potentially it's a it's a date sort of scenario. You're meeting a guy. If this is on the table, that's this being the phone list. The phone, the phone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if the phone is on the table, it shouldn't be. Yeah, because it's a potential. It's a barrier. Right. It's a def- it's a defense. Okay. So he's not fully open for whatever reason, unless he tells you he's he's genuinely expecting an urgent call, and then he should tell you before the date, yeah. not just not just when you arrive. He should he should let you know beforehand. Um, so that's that's one thing. The, the next, the, the most important thing really is when you make eye contact. What do you feel from their eyes? What do you feel? And if you get an uncomfortable feeling. Trust it. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? It is. Trust trust it. Don't overanalyze it. Trust it and just say, look, thanks very much. Um, Yeah, just not for me. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I wish I'd done that. Well, I say I wish I'd done that. I don't like to regret everything I learned in the six years I needed to learn. But I remember that moment. I remember the moment where my body said, Christine, walk out now. And I didn't listen. Then, but I know a lot more now than I did then mm-hmm. that I get to help people with, which is the gift that we get from the pain. Yeah. Ah, it's yeah. been fantastic talking to you. You you wrote a book and I, I think you had to cut down some of those 160 odd yeah. <laughs> behaviors. Did you? What's the book about? It's a very short book and deliberately a short book because I started it initially and I realized I could I could write it forever and not get it written. Mm. So um, I I deliberately condensed it. So it's like uh, it's like 
sort of it goes to the basic eight eight face shapes that are recognized in the Chinese system, then like six forehead shapes, six eyebrows, six eyes kind of thing. And it gives a visual for each and an explanation of what each each of those may mean in terms of communicating with the individual. Sure. So it's it's a, it's deliberately a short information primer, and like there's a there's a there's an image for each thing that I'm talking about, each eyebrow shape, each eye size shape, etc., and an explanation that goes with it. So um, yeah, it's very simple and practical. Great. And where could people pick that up if they were interested in doing that? Uh, okay, there's there's a technical issue. There's if if people like Kindle, you can get it on the Kindle store on Amazon. But as of yesterday, uh, my website has crashed uh, and I have no idea how to get it back. But the, the signed hard copies are available through my website whenever it's whenever it's restored. Or if somebody is interested, um, they can contact me directly and get it that way. Perfect. Yeah. When this goes out, I, I don't have the date in front of me now. Your website may very well be back up and running. If you do go to the website, the the information is in the show notes, listeners, and it is not up and running yet. Do feel free to contact me as well and I can put you in touch. I have one more question that I ask everyone who comes on the show, if that's OK. Yeah. The show is called Connected Communication. What does connected communication mean to you? It means heart and mind. It means opening our heart and mind to the people we're with. And that applies to, for me, that applies whether we're meeting socially, intimately, or in business. It's okay. just, to me, that's just an essential part of becoming as fully, as fully who we can be as possible. Beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I'm going to be cheeky and say, I hope you'll come on again because oh, I think I could talk yeah. to you for hours. <laughs> yeah, or maybe thank you so more. much. Yeah. Really, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Well, listeners, that has been Joseph Maguire of Clear Sight Communications. And you can find him through the links in the show notes. Hopefully, the site will be okay and back up and running by the time this airs and you're listening. Reach out on LinkedIn, it's yeah. your most common place yeah. to, to connect, ask questions. Give, give feedback if you've learned something from the show or something was resonated with you please do rate and review it it really really helps especially on Apple until next time Banakti August Boekas thank you so much Joseph oh thank you Christine thank you so much thank you